Today, the message I felt is a divine life, a divine life. When I speak of divine, what first word comes to your mind? Divine. What is it? God. Yeah, God. And, and it comes down to, I think of beauty. I think of Arlene. I call her, she's divine to me. See, she's heavenly. Her beauty is heavenly. Now, she's not in the room, but you can tell her I said that, okay? Hello. Anybody with me yet? Okay. So here's the thing. The divine, we, we have this, this uh, we call it the Trinity. And I remember when I first got saved, one of the biggest arguments was about the Trinity because the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. So they'll tell you, you can't find the word Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic or any other word. You can't find the word that says Trinity. No, that's because that's, our, that's a man word trying to describe the divine. He calls himself Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He calls himself, he says that we were. Last week when Bob spoke about creation, it says that in the beginning, God, and then it talks about the Spirit over the waters. It talks about the fact that Christ who was crucified before the foundation of the world. So we have the person of Jesus, we have the person of God, and we have the person of the Holy Spirit all right from the beginning. And so what we got is we have got Creator God, we got Jesus our Savior, and we've got the Holy Spirit who is our power. In John 14, 15, and 16 talks about the Holy Spirit. So I'm on a course about this rescue mission, and the idea is, is that this life preserver is something we put on so that, that we have, that's kind of like the anointing uh, as a rescuer, we need to put it on so that when we go to rescue someone else, we've got it. Well, that's putting on the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So here it is in another way. Creator God, Jesus our Savior, and the Holy Spirit our power. The, the other way to look at it is the source of life, the source of salvation, and the source of power or anointing. The source of power or anointing. If you want to live a more vibrant, uh, victorious Christian life, you need the Holy Spirit in your life. That's just the way it is. There's no other way to get it outside of that. You'll, you'll be striving and you'll be falling. You'll be gaining a step and falling back too. And your life is going to be this continual wandering around missing what God has for you because your eyes haven't been opened. You aren't sensitive to the leading of God. And when man begins to, do, to, to walk the territory by himself, guess what we do? We go in circles. So what we do is we end up with the same old, same old. You ever heard that? The same old, same old? There used to be a, a, a dish that you could order like that. The same old, same old in a restaurant is when you become so predictable, they know what you want, that they walk in and they just, you know, the question is, is, is you, did you want decaf or regular? Outside of that, I know what you want. Same old, same old. Um, let me ask you a question. How many of you are on Facebook? Let me see your hand. How many of you are on Facebook? Some of you think that's of the devil and that's okay. Um, it's, it's both sometimes devil and, and I can see some God moments, but um, it's media. So what is your status? I learned a few things about that because we should have something, I guess, that people put in a status change. Who's the one who uses uh, Facebook the most? You think you probably are the Facebook champion in the room. Anybody? Yeah, you? Because uh, I've got a few of you on, friends. Um, I know Caitlin, you know, Katie, she does quite a bit on, on Facebook. Um, Marcy, you do quite a bit on Facebook. Um, so, but you, you do a lot, Amanda? Do you? Okay. Some people do rants and raving on the Facebook. I think that's really bad. But um, I learned that you should change your status. I think my status is like on the city. It's the same one that I've had for about six months. 
you know, if, if it's just uh, hungry after God, then that's what I put down. I, I haven't found that, I haven't wanted to change that yet. But some people change their status all the time. Are, are you guys those people that you're on Facebook and you're constantly changing status? You know, I'm eating here, I'm, I'm you know, I'm itching, I got a pimple on my nose. I mean, I find all kinds of stuff on there, right? Well, let me ask you, what's your status, what's your status spiritually? Would you say that life is good? I'm okay, you're okay? You know, sometimes that kind of place? What, what, there's an old word, what condition your condition is in? What condition is your condition in? A couple weeks ago when I preached, uh, there was a passage, I'm going to read it here shortly for us, out of Colossians, but it said, uh, the question was, is your life marked by strength and joy? And God keeps on taking that word over in my own life. Is your, is your life marked by strength and joy? Is your life beautiful? So I'm just reposing that question this morning. Is your life beautiful? And maybe you'd say, yes, but. <laughs> or mostly. Or certain parts. Or you might say, it is, but not at work. Not at home, or not at church, or not with so-and-so. My life is beautiful, but this morning there's some keys that I believe God's given that comes right from His Word that I want us to see. So let's go ahead and pray. How about you got a you got a Bible? Let's let's take that thing. See, it says that that's His Word. So let's take that and, and take a hand if you want, or your Bible, and put it right there next to your brain. <laughs> this is your Word. This is my mind my heart, my life. I want to be transformed. I want strength, joy, and a beautiful life that you offer, God. I seek you. You are my desire to hear your voice and to know your will. Have your way, God. Open my mind and my heart. Give me wisdom, insight, and understanding, Lord. I want to know you more. Anoint my eyes that I might see, my ears that I can hear, my heart to receive, my mind to comprehend and understand. In Jesus' name, amen. I should have said in my body to tolerate all of that. So Colossians 1 says, um, says this way, these first uh, 10 verses, uh, 10 through 14. We pray that you'll live well for the Master, making him proud of you, as you work hard in his orchard, as you learn more and more of how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set, he's set us up in the kingdom of the Son he loves so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. So is your life marked by strength and joy? Is your life beautiful? You just might need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit in your life. There was a song that kept playing over and over in my head. Some of you will recognize it. 
some of the younger ones, you'll think, see, he's old. There's an old song. It was on, this group was on back, uh, or this duo was on back in the early 70s, I think it was. This song was somewhere between 72 and 74. And um, I, we actually had a music video I looked at. You'll have to go and do that yourself on your own. I don't want to play the whole thing. But um, there was a music video of this. And I thought this is probably one of the first before MTV and VH1 ever started doing all these amazing videos. So uh, you'll have to pull it up. It's by Sonny and Cher. Anybody remember Sonny and Cher? Yeah. <laughs> and they were just standing there singing this, this little ditty. And they were, uh, it was rather boring. No wind blowing her hair. When you see Cher in her day back probably, what, 15, 20 years ago with all the rocking out and all the, wow, barely closed stuff. Um, and then you see this video when she first gets started, her and Sonny. But the song is this, The Beat Goes On. You remember that song? The beat goes on, the beat goes on. And then it, it has this, the beat goes on, drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La-da-da-da-da, la-da-da-da-dee, right? And then Char- Charleston was once the rage, uh-huh. History has turned the page, uh-huh. The miniskirts, the current thing. Boy. When you think about that, way back in the 70s, Daisy Dukes aren't anything new. Teeny Bopper is our newborn king. Uh-huh. Charleston, I'm sorry, the grocery store's the supermart. Uh-huh. Little girls still break their hearts. Uh-huh. And men still keep on marching off to war. Electrically, they keep a baseball score. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La-da-da-da-dee, la-da-da-da-da. Grandmas sit in chairs and reminisce. Boys keep chasing girls to get a kiss. And now girls chasing boys to get a kiss. The cars keep going faster all the time. And bums still cry, hey, buddy, have you got a time? And the beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La-di-da-di-dee, la-di-da-di-da. And the beat goes on. That's what I'm talking about. Is that's the way our life can become is routine and become so predictable that we're just kind of like the beat goes on. I thought today it's not even electronically they keep the score. It's digitally <laughs> they keep the score. You know, oh, how times have changed. But as a church, are we keeping up with that? Or do we just have this average life? You have an average life, you have a spectacular life. Because I'm convinced God wants you to have a spectacular life. He wants you to have a divine life. That's the only way you can have a spectacular life is if you'll have a divine life. Because what happens is usually when I'm, when I'm failing and faltering in my life, you know what it's from? It's from too much flesh. It's a flesh fest. Like Jamboree in the Hills. Kind of. Oh, come on. You didn't think I was going to leave that alone. Well, by the way, I saw the bands playing a little bit last night. Took Arlene. We went and had a little dinner and watching one of the groups on there. And I watched everybody press into the front. You know, there's a fence that keeps them away. But, man, they're all around there. And and they're partying and they're shouting and they're dancing. I'm thinking, where is that in the church? Where is that in the church? We've become so staid in how we want to worship God that we think that it's just, you know, blasé. 
believe nothing is impossible with you. Nothing is impossible. I'm so glad she's saying that. Nothing is impossible. Thank you, God, that you're renewing me from head to toe, God. Front to back, side to side, inside out, and outside in. Thank you that, that God, you you not, not abandoned me. You haven't left me to this. Thank you that everything is possible with you, God. Are you really? Really get there. Go there. How can you do that? By the Holy Spirit. You want to know what? Listen to this. This average life, in, it's described in Ecclesiastes chapters 11 and 12. I'm just going to give you a few verses out of, uh, it's verses 7 through 10 in chapter 11. It says, how sweet the light of day and how wonderful to live in the sunshine. Even if you live a long time, don't take a single day for granted. Take delight in each light-filled hour, remembering that there will also be many dark days, and most of what comes your way is smoke. You who are young, make the most of your youth. Relish your youthful vigor. Follow the impulses of your heart. If something looks good to you, pursue it. But know also that not just anything goes. You have to answer to God for every last bit of it. Live footloose and fancy free. You won't be young forever. Youth lasts about as long as smoke. And then Ecclesiastes 12 picks up this way. First eight verses. Honor and enjoy your creator while you're still young. Before the years take their toll and your vigor wanes. Before your vision dims and the world blurs. And the winter years keep you close to the fire. The older you are, the more you understand what I'm saying. In old age, your body no longer serves you so well. Muscles slacken, grip weakens, joints stiffen. The shades are pulled down on the world. You can't come and go at will. Things grind to a halt. The hum of the household fades away. You're awakened now by birdsong. Hikes to the mountains are a thing of the past. Even a stroll down the road has its terrors. Your hair turns apple blossom white, adorning a fragile and impotent matchstick body. Yes, you're well on your way to eternal rest while your friends make plans for your funeral. Life, lovely while it lasts, is soon over. Life as we know it, precious and beautiful ends. The body is put back in the same ground it came from. The spirit returns to God who first breathed it. It's all smoke, (laughs) nothing but smoke. The quester, the preacher, says that everything's smoke. Up in smoke. A vapor. I remember when. You can tell when you're getting old because you start to do that more often. Well, when I was your age. Oh, I remember when. Sometimes people come to me as a pastor and they tell me that. They remember when. They remember when the Holy Spirit moved this way. And they remember this ministry. And they remember Catherine Kuhlman. And they remember this guy. They remember. So? That was then. This is now. What's this generation going to do to see a move of God in our day? And stop talking about Moses crossing the Red Sea. Do you understand how foolish that is to people who haven't seen the glory of God? It was ridiculous for those who saw the glory of God. They forgot it pretty quick, didn't they? So how is it for us if we keep just talking about the things that happened yesteryear? Folks, we need the passion of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we have something tangible 
to offer people today. It's called your testimony. It's your testimony. Sometimes, you know, we're better than our actions reveal. Don't you think that's true? Sometimes we're better than our choices. We're better than, than, than what showed up as fruit in our lives. We knew better. We know better than to just get to where we're living ordinary, to where we're just taking the Holy Spirit at some sort of, you know, eh, take it or leave it, instead of saying, I'm desperate for the Holy Spirit. Some of you have grown up, and, and I even had this dialogue the other day, that when you got Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit. And the problem with that is that they had Jesus. And he said, I'm going to go away, and you need to go and wait until you get power from on high. There's something subsequent to that. Matter of fact, if I'm hearing it right, an old Baptist friend of mine up in, uh, up in New York, he said that when we got Jesus, we got the Holy Spirit, so we don't have to have anything else. But that actually goes right against the counsel that he said, you go until, and you wait until you receive power from on high. Who showed up when it was time for the power? The Holy Spirit showed up. Jesus already finished his work. And so what we get is, yes, you're going to get some Holy Spirit because Jesus, because of the divine life, because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're co-eternal. So yes, you're going to get some measure of the Holy Spirit, but you're not going to get the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the divine life is receiving that, that you're created by God, He's our Creator, that we're saved by Jesus the Savior, and that we're anointed and filled with power by the Holy Spirit. Do you see why He says that you need all of me? See? And you'll need all of me in that you'll, you'll seek me. You'll come to know me. You'll know me as creator because I reveal myself in everything I've created. You'll know me as savior because the Holy Spirit will open up your eyes and let you know of your desperation for salvation. And then once you're saved, you're going to realize that you keep living this same old roundabout, that same old bush thing going on, that you're going to say, I need the power of God for daily living. And that that is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't take that for granted. Don't think that whatever you got when you got saved was sufficient because it, it's not. It's enough for you to continue to live this status kind of, this static life. Static life. Instead of this supernatural that God wants. Not weird and stupid and goofy looking. Because I think sometimes that's what Pentecostal churches have become. We become some sort of external experience thing. It's got to be something, you know, extreme. We got to see gold dust. We got to see demons. We got to see angels. We got to see. No, you don't have to any of that. And some of it isn't even biblical. But don't call to mind the former things nor ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Will you not be aware of it? So this isn't about us and our reveling in that place or basking in some sort of limelight as. We're doing all kinds of, I call it voodoo Christianity. Instead, it's that we actually have this resolve, and we've got this strength, and we've got this power, we've got this anointing, we have this mantle which we walk in, and we're constantly being filled. Do you know why we need to be filled more than one time? Because you leak. And if you don't leak, then you're, you're constipated spiritually. You've got to be leaking because you should be pouring out, you should be blessing other people. You should be serving. You should be, because you're doing that, you're going to have to have your, your strength renewed by God. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. 
Let me give you these things. How can we live an extraordinary life in the midst of the rhythm of this beat goes on life? That's what I want you to do. Seven things. You can write them down. They're going to be simple words. The first one is pure slash godly wisdom. Pure slash godly wisdom. You can't do it. As a matter of fact, it was in my prayer. It's been something that God showed me years ago. Wisdom, insight, and understanding, those three words. God, give me wisdom, insight, and understanding into your word, into your way. James 3 talks about it this way. James 3, 13 to 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Some of you know people who operate like that, and you just need to tell them, here's what the Word says, that's demonic. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I can remember when I was first going to Bible school, there was a, there was a whole group in the church, and they were talking about how the, the pastor quenched the Holy Spirit. And, and this was a common thing. I'd hear it week after week in a home group setting about how pastors quench the Holy Spirit. And do you know what they were doing? It was dissension, breeding dissension. That's what they were doing. Did you talk to the pastor about that? Oh, no, of course not. He's too superior. He would never listen. He would never hear that from us. Ooh, boy. Do you hear the poison in it? We're coming up there. How is that pure? How is that peaceable? How is that gentle? How is that reasonable? Full of mercy. Huh? It's not. So just call it demonic because that's what it is. We got to stop, stop being sissies when it comes down to people who are or operating in demonic spirits. And we think they're spiritual. Stop it. James 1.8 picks it up this way. Which is first, what? Pure, peaceable, pure, godly wisdom, because there's a wisdom of the world, which we've got to, it's infiltrated the church. And it, it, they put on all kinds of airs to make it look spiritual. But it's not, because when you judge the fruit of it. James 1 says it this way. James, who is a bondservant of God, willingly serving, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. First thing before you ever go on is to understand he's speaking about a people dispersed abroad tells you possibly what kind of condition their condition is in. Imagine if you just had, you suffered a fire and, and your whole house is burned down, Ted and Terry. Your house is gone. Okay, everything you built, everything you worked for, all that remodeling, and it's done right now. And you're sitting there questioning, you know, God, what, what happened? What did, what, how did this happen? They're dispersed. They're, they're out of their, their, little, their little home environment, out of that comfort zone, out of that place where we you know, work so hard to, to build and establish. He says to the people who are dispersed abroad, you've lost part of your identity, a sense of belonging. That's what he talks about right off the bat. And then he says, consider it all joy, you dispersed ones. See, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it would be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you, have, you, if you lack wisdom, he says, get that wisdom. But it's not worldly wisdom. It's a godly, pure wisdom. The second one is insight. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2 gives the layout of this. And we actually sang part of that this morning. We sang part of these words. Um, no eye has seen, no ear heard. It was actually part of one of the songs we sang. It was up on the wall. It says that when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message, my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's what Paul says. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. But then it goes on. I heard that verse. I was in, 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 in a, our church down in Florida, one of the first places I'm being discipled. I'm just a baby Christian. I'm just learning. And they kept, people kept quoting that passage to me. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered in the heart of man those things which God has for those who love him. And, and I keep thinking, well, there's something out there that hasn't been revealed. There's something out there that we can just keep kind of groping in the dark for. And then a gracious pastor read verse 10. And it changes everything. Verse 10 does. Because there's all this wonderful hope of expectation, what might happen, but uh, not much because, gosh, who knows when. And then says this, verse 10, for to us, say for to us, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Who does? The Holy Spirit does. Guess why I want him? Because I want to know the deep things of God, because I want to understand things that I don't Get in my natural. I need more of the Holy Spirit. I don't need another sermon. I don't need a different pastor. I don't need a different church. What I need is I need to get the Holy Spirit. I need to cry out that you might anoint my eyes and my ears, that you give me spiritual understanding for to us. So that's insight. The Spirit searches all things. The first thing is pure godly wisdom. The second one is insight. Number three is understanding. Boy, I love this. 
you, you need to read Daniel chapter 5. Can I give you that? I'm not going to be able to read it all. I'm going to try to read just enough to give you some understanding here. Okay, Daniel chapter 5. Daniel's one of those, we talk about end times prophecy. We, we take into, into account what Daniel has said. There's some things from Revelation. There's some things from Isaiah, from Ezekiel. And it actually, between when you add all these things, it gives us some understanding about end time things. But, but people don't know it all. Matter of fact, when God gave revelation to Daniel, he ended up telling him, okay, what you just saw is shut up. You're not supposed to share it, not supposed to write it. It's hidden for a time to be revealed. And guess what? There are people who are trying to say that they know what it is and they're teaching on prophecy and end times and Israel and all these other things, and there's really only one who knows, and that's him. And he knows how he's going to work it out. And that's been because history over the years has been the same way. Israel's been teetering on this side of destruction and everything else over and over through the years. As before 1945, they didn't even exist. So if you want to talk about the end of times before, before Israel even existed, you could be saying, well, they can't get much more woeful. They don't even have their own land. And yet today we still continue with that. And yet nobody, is anybody on a rescue mission? Or we're just sitting around talking about signs and wonders without any fruit in our life. So here it is, Daniel, it's understanding. Belshazzar, say Belshazzar. He's the king. He's the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Say Nebuchadnezzar. That's a a hard word. Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar, his father had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Do you remember what he's describing there? That's what the statue was made of, which God pulverized. Suddenly, the fingers of man's hand, of a man's hand, emerged, this is verse 5, and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. Say perplexed. Perplexed. You know what that means? Confused. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. Wow! 
Wouldn't that be cool if somebody said that about you? Huh? Did you hear it? Illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Folks, God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on you and me that we might be that person, that it might be said of us is that we had this supernatural wisdom, insight, and understanding. Listen to what happens next. This is a man after God's own heart. This is the way God wants us to be. So here it is. Daniel, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you the Dan, that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you, that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you're able to read the inscription and make its inscription known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Wow. Can you say it's a little bribe? A little about a, hey, I want to be able to tell this guy. I mean, nobody really knows, so why I could just make up some stuff. Couldn't I? Then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. We're not likely to do that if somebody's about to grease our palms, are we? Oh, we'll take that money. As the world says, everybody's got a price. Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make known the interpretation known to to him. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. And then it goes on. And that's Daniel ultimately glorifying God, using terms about who God is and saying that God gave even your dad some of this glory, and what did he do with it? He wasted it. What have you been doing, Belshazzar? You've been still honoring the old gods, the ones that, that, that were crushed and left with nothing. See, what is, that, what is all of that about? That's all about this understanding, this insight, this extraordinary spirit that God put in Daniel. He'll put it in you and me. He can give you and me the same thing. It's part of the spiritual gifts. This wisdom, the word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. That's something that the the modern New New Testament church is supposed to embrace. That we can have that kind of supernatural understanding and wisdom and insight. I'm just asking you to put that in your heart to begin to desire that. Number four, spiritual discernment. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. 
You're supposed to have a spiritual discernment. If you don't have that, you might call it an intuition. You might call it a gut feeling. You might call whatever else you want to call it, but it's, it's, it's a spiritual discernment you're supposed to, to have. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 16. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, there's those words again, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Question mark. But we have the mind. We have the mind of Christ. Hello, we have the mind of Christ. Do you really have the mind of Christ? Or do you need more of the Holy Spirit? Oh, I need, I do have some of the mind of Christ, but oh, do I need the Holy Spirit. Number five, walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. How can you live an extraordinary life? Walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. How do you do that? There's a couple of sub-points. One, avoid speculation or vain imagination. Avoid speculation or vain imagination. 2 Corinthians 10 says it this way, 3, 3 through 5. Many of you know this. I've heard a lot of really spiritual people say this, but their lives were still a wreck. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's when you get speculation and vain imagination. It's these things that that keep you... uh, Well, actually, I'll go on. It's called paranoia. Any of you know you're paranoid? Let me see who you're paranoid. You're paranoid about raising your hand right now. It's called paranoia. Let me give you the definition for paranoia. In in psychiatry, a mental disorder characterized by systematized delusions and the projection of personal conflicts which are ascribed to the supposed hostility of others, sometimes progressing to disturbances of consciousness and aggressive acts believed to be performed in self-defense or as a mission. Hello. Hello. So you did something destructive to someone else because you thought they had done something or they were going to do it to you, and so you had to be first. Baseless, number two, is baseless or excessive suspicion of the motives of others. I have people who question, well, where am I trying to take the church? What, why, why are you saying that? Why are you leading us this way? And it's all this suspicion, and I'm kind of like, wait a minute. It's like I'm on trial here. You know, my heart is to, to make you to, to love Jesus more fully. My heart is to help you to come into the knowledge of what you're created for, a divine purpose. And if you want to establish that all on your own and you're missing it, oh, well, I'm just trying to do what, what God has called me to do. Basis, baseless or excessive suspicion of the motives of others. 
mental derangement. By the way, there's a biblical scenario where this is played out. Did you know that? Imagine that. The Bible actually says something about it. It's in Matthew chapter 8, 28 and 29. Just, just give you the overview. It's, it's called, the Greek word is literally uh, madness. Anybody say gadarene? The gadarene. Matthew 8. It says when Jesus, he, come, he says, when he came to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? See, a little paranoia. Here comes Jesus, and all of a sudden, here you are, he's coming here to torment you. No, no, my friend, Gadarenes, dude, demonic, demonically influenced. They weren't the demons. They were filled with demons. He's coming to set them free. But see, when you're held captive, when you're under that, 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 uh, that delusion, all of a sudden, somebody who's actually for you becomes against you. Does anybody ever have that happen in your lives? Yeah, and you, you, you forget. So all of a sudden, wait a minute, don't strike the messenger. I'm just a messenger here. Hey, I'm your friend. Hey, I'm trying to help you with something. So A is avoid speculation or vain imaginations. B is mental slash emotional freedom. Here it is. Don't embrace problems that aren't brought to your attention. Don't embrace problems that aren't brought to your attention. I'm going to wait for the youth to come in because this is a really powerful part of the word right here. Don't embrace problems that aren't brought to your attention. You know what the Lord spoke to my heart? First time I've ever had this. It's a wonderful, amazing word, really. It's called no grapevine warfare. Go ahead, say grapevine warfare. Do you know what grapevine warfare is? Well, I heard it through the grapevine. What do you mean you heard it through the grapevine? That means rumor, gossip, and hearsay. Rumor, gossip, and hearsay. How many of you are gossipers, or you spread rumors, or you have hearsay? Well, I heard. Somebody said. Oh, nobody wants to raise their hands on that one. But I'm telling you, it happens all the time. And we do it in, in, in we, the worst place to do it is in your prayer circles. Well, it's really confidential. It's just something I want you to pray about. Oh, really? No, stop. Because you're about to give me some rumor, gossip, or hearsay. And that's called grapevine warfare. You can't do grape. You need to stay focused on what the mission is. No grapevine warfare. That's mental and emotional freedom. You don't embrace problems that aren't brought to your attention. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, we're hunky-dory. Relational humility is the third one. Relational humility. I know what I know, that's it. If I don't know and I want to ask, if, and want to, I ask the right person in the right way for the right reason. Hey, if I'm confused about something, if, if I don't know what's going on with somebody, where is this person? They've been gone for a while. Did I do something wrong? Well, I can't ask somebody else if I did something wrong. I need to ask the person who's not showing up anymore. The person who's not answering my calls. Then I can get the direct feed. I get right from them and not through a text message or an email. But face-to-face if I can do that. That's the best. 
Relational humility says, I only know what I know. That's it. And if I don't know and I want to, I ask the right person in the right way for the right reason. To glorify God. Number six is the strength that God supplies. I already read that passage for Colossians 1. It's the strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Helps me to, makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. And the seventh thing is the power of the Holy Spirit. How to live an extraordinary life. The power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have heard that verse? Not by power. Not by might. But by my Savior. By my Redeemer. By Jesus. Um, yeah, okay, there's some truth in that, but that's not actually what Zechariah 4.6 says. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So, recap, how to live an extraordinary life, the divine life, in the midst of the rhythm of the beat goes on kind of life is pure godly wisdom, insight, understanding, spiritual discernment. Walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. You do that by avoiding speculation and vain imagination, by pursuing mental and emotional freedom, no grapevine warfare. You commit to relational humility. That's the person who's always confessing that, hey, I blew it. I'll take the fall here. I'll I'll take the blame. I'll be like Jesus. And by the strength that God supplies. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, we'd be remiss if we just went ahead and said, hey, it's 10 after 12 time. He's overtime. It's time for us to go. I'm hungry. Man, that stomach is growling. And you can continue to feed your face with the natural foods. And you can continue to go around that same circle that says you feed it and you pass it and you feed it and you pass it and you might even gain some weight. And it's doing you no real good spiritually. And then there's this food that God gives to us. And it's the divine life. And I can't get away from talking about His Holy Spirit. Because we need it. And I'm convinced that the body of Christ doesn't have it sufficiently. We don't have Him to the measure He wants us to have Him. Because we don't see the fruit in our lives. Now, I'm not going to point the finger and wag it in your face this morning. I'm just asking you to really do a little search, a little personal spiritual inventory in your life and and ask yourself the question, do you have enough of the Holy Spirit? And I'll bet you'll come up with the same answer that I have to answer for myself. As though I might be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and I'm pretty good. I'm walking a pretty decent path. But God, I haven't walked on water recently. I haven't prayed for somebody who's blind and had their eyes open. I haven't seen the, the leper healed. I haven't, I haven't seen even, matter of fact, there's some marriages healed. There's some time and people I talk with in relationship that they're not, nothing's changing in their lives. Sometimes my words are worthless, God. I need infusion of your Holy Spirit. And I need to not be bashful about it. And I need to not be shy about it. And I need to not act like I think I know what the Holy Spirit is or who the Holy Spirit is. 
I want you to do something here. I want you to take in this song. It's a video by Hillsong United. We actually do the song, but I wanted our worship team to be able to be in the place of receiving this morning as well. I believe it will minister to you. It's ministered to my heart. It says that you are my strength, strength like no other, that you're my hope, hope like no other. And I want you this morning to give the opportunity to allow for God to minister the Holy Spirit to you. Not, not man. I don't want the prayer team coming up here. I don't want you laying hands on. I don't want you telling people to, to do this. No, no. You know what I want? I want you to, be, to get that which is pure and undefiled. I want you to come up, and in innocence, I want you to be able to have a time at the altar. I want you to be able to kneel. I don't want you to stay in your seat. That's kind of arrogant to me. I believe it is to God, too. He puts out a banquet table, and he says, come, feast. The feast is on who he is. It's not a pastor. It's coming to him this morning. And I'm going to ask you not to leave today without having a, a time where you just do that. Do what is not customary for you. Don't stay in your own territory. Be dispersed abroad from where you're at to come. There's chairs right here. Nobody sits right there. Look at it. It's all open for somebody. If you can't kneel, if you can't bow, if you can't lay on your face up here, then come and sit in the chairs, but get close to the altar. Get close to the place where God wants. And we'll just kind of see what he wants to do from here. Play this song one time through, then we're going we're gonna to interact with it. I don't want you really having to sing the song. I want you to take it in. I want you to watch worship as it's happening on the, on the wall. I want you to see what worship looks like when somebody else does it, and then say, do I worship like that? Well, worship's very personal and private, Pastor. Oh, yes, but he wants it public. That's what he wants. So I'm just going to ask you to be challenged by what we see I want you to receive that word. I want you to respond the way the, the song leads us. You ready?
Sometimes the worship team tells me, Joel says, Dad, sometimes it's so hard to, to worship because we're doing. And the first thing Jesus called his disciples, he says, come. And he says, be. And then you'll go and do. We got it mixed up sometimes because we think we're going to do and we'll become. He said, just come and be. Be with me. And then you'll do. And out of you will flow this live this living water. I just want you to ask him, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me. You're not up.
come up forward. Be a near with the, the part of your brothers and sisters in warfare, asking, beseeching, crying out. Don't stand off. Don't be at, at arm's length. Join us. It's in the pursuit of his holiness this morning. We're desperate. We want something higher, further, greater, deeper, bigger.
Let's just repent of, of a, an ordinary life. Let's repent of just scraping by, just getting by, just enough. I could become so accustomed to the custom that I've lost the supernatural, I've lost the pursuit of, the passion for the supernatural, God. Be my strength, God. Fill me with hope afresh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. anywhere yet. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want us to miss this because there's way too many people sitting out there. I'm telling you, if, if, if your opportunity was to get in the pool right now, and he says, whoever gets in the pool first is the one, would you still stay out there or would you be right here? Because he says, I'm right here. So before we go this morning, before we miss this, I'm just going to ask everybody, come up to the front here. Come up to the front. I want you to stand with one accord, with one mind, one heart. I want us to be that we're, we end this morning with this dedication, this devotion, this commitment that says, I'm part of this. I'm not a spectator. I'm not watching from back there, expecting something to happen to me where I'm at. I'm coming forward with this congregation, with this pastor who wants to see the power of God manifest in the church, tired of the same old, same old tired of the same old. Let it be this church, God. Let it be my life. Let it be my day. Let it be my generation, God, that embraces it, that sees the fullness of the Holy Spirit once again. Let it be that's an enduring, lasting work right here at New Life Fellowship, God. I can't be concerned about everybody else, but right here, this is where we've called upon you. We've asked for you. We seek you, God. You've established us. 
And so God, right here for us, pour out your spirit on us. Pour out your spirit on us, God. We're just asking for that, God, is that we don't even understand it. We don't know exactly what that'll look like, except you've given us hints. And then, God, you said that greater works than this will you do because I go to the Father. And I am sending the Holy Spirit. And he will empower you and he will anoint you. He gives us, folks, he gives us that which we're to cry out for, that which we're to hunger for, that which we're thirsting for. And he says, if, if, how much will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I don't want you to rely on your upbringing. I don't want you to rely on history. I don't want you to rely on what used to happen. I don't want you to rely on, on what you know. I'm not. I'm just asking God, pour out your Holy Spirit afresh in our day, in my life, right now, God. Let's move forward just a little bit more, and I want us to just hold hands. We're going to end it with that. I want us to be as as a body of Christ right now. You, you, some of you guys are used to living this life on your own, in your own strength and kind of in your own circles. And you got your own friends and they're not necessarily uh, of the church or from the church. And, and we can become accustomed to that. And then we've been let down by people in the church. And so sometimes we can feel like we're safer if we don't get that close to somebody. That's just a lie from the pit. And we need his outpouring. God, would you pray that prayer? God, create in me a clean heart, a desire for you, a passion for your holiness. Would you hear my cry and pour out your Holy Spirit in my life right now, God, in this church? That we might infect the valley. And that will bring glory to you, Jesus. I'm not relying on my own wisdom. My own knowledge. Or even history. But as a little little child. I say, Papa. Give me your Holy Spirit. This is not a one-time thing, folks. I want you to get used to crying out for God to pour out His Holy Spirit. You got Jesus. You know God. Get the Holy Spirit more and more. And we're going to tap into something that, that, we, that the world longs for, that they so need. Can we end with just singing this song? Join and sing that song.
Where's you on the bottom? Jesus. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to, to continually renew your, your heart and your mind and your spirit and ask God to do that toward, toward the body of Christ, but specifically toward New Life Fellowship and begin to ask Him for a revelation of what He wants to do in your life your life in this church, because I believe the days we've been waiting for, we've been asking for an outpouring, and we've been asking for God to do that which we can't muster in our own strength and in our own abilities, and we actually want to be part of something that is so much bigger than anything that we've ever even hoped or imagined, and I believe this morning we we just touched the hem of the garment, but he wants us to wear that garment, amen? So thank you for coming this morning, I want you to Continue that this this week with an expectation. God, what are you going to do next Sunday? What are you going to do this day with me, God? How are you going to work your will in my life? And how are you going to help me to fulfill that? How are you going to pour out your Holy Spirit in my day this week? And I'm believing that there will be people who will be given a word of wisdom, that you'll be given a word of knowledge, that you'll be given a prophetic word for somebody, that you're going to know the prophetic prayer, the prayer that to be able to pray over somebody, that you're going to have divine appointments and opportunities. You're going to see how the Holy Spirit has been an usher, and He's been the one that will connect things and, and give you a divine order this, this week. And you're going to begin to see what it's like to be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And you're going to have victory upon victory in, in God. And you're going to begin to see it in your own life, in your own family. He's going to give us the opportunity to even see the fruit that is on the tree, even the fig tree, which isn't in season for bearing fruit. You're going to see fruit bearing 
where it wasn't even, you're going to see that you'll harvest fruit that has been sown, seeds were sown by somebody other than you, and you're going to be the benefactor of somebody else's faith, somebody else's seeds that have been sown. I believe that's the word of the Lord for, for us, for this church, and for your lives. Amen? Let's give God a little praise and glory as you go. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you want to uh, stick around in, in prayer, I'm going to ask the prayer team, go ahead and be here, specifically ministering Holy Spirit stuff. And if you need that, if you just need a fresh touch, if you want a friend to pray for you, I want to uh, have you do that. Otherwise, as you go, the song's playing in the background. Go with that kind of, uh, of hope. And thank you for being here this morning. God bless you. Just